that always kind of sets the tone as we go in. But this morning and uh, next week, we're going to be taking a turn in the book of Revelations to see the judgment of God through seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bowls. Uh, through Revelation chapter 6 through 16, we're going to be looking over these next few weeks, uh, two weeks as we do this. And as we get into this, can I encourage you, I want us to see and acknowledge that the judgment and the wrath of God, but in the midst of this, I, we need to see the mercy of God. And we need to see the goodness of God in the midst of some of these things that seem so catastrophic. And our, we're going to see over and over throughout this, the theme, if you look closely, was God's great desire for people to be saved, his desire that people would come to repentance and through all the things that God would get their attention and that they would come to a saving knowledge of him through this experience. It's gonna be like a parent who disciplines their child, not out of anger, but out of love and a desire to see their child change and be transformed. That's the context we've gotta see this in. So again, these judgments that we're gonna study this week and in next week they don't come from an angry God, but can we be reminded they come from a just God in his character that's there. So seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. If you remember, the number seven means perfection, completion. At the end of our seven bowls, we will be complete. We will be done as we work through this. And so that's the exciting thing as we go. Now, as we jump into this this morning uh, on the judgments of God, and listen, you, you pick your favorite scholar, uh, you pick your favorite preacher, you go to your favorite YouTube channel, and you will find a thousand different opinions and uh, ideas on how this next little section lays out during this, uh, during this idea of the tribulation. How do these bowls and all this fit within there? Some feel that the seven uh, seals, the seven bowls, and the seven trumpets are really, it's really seven judgments, and the three of these all just give greater explanation. So it's kind of piled one on top of each other, and they're just giving greater description. So it's really seven judgments, but three layers of that. Some feel that uh, the first five seals happened in the first three and a half years, and you'll see again on the back just that timeline, first three and a half years, and then after that we move to the second three and a half years of the tribulation. That's there. Uh, some would hold that the, all of the seals and the first six trumpets happened in the first three and a half years, and then the um, seventh trumpet and the seven bulls happen at the end. And um, no matter what you feel about this, most everybody agrees the seven bowls, which are the third of the judgments, which are the most extreme, most feel they all will happen uh, in the last three and a half years of the tribulation. That's why those that would hold to a mid-tribulational rapture view would hold that that would happen halfway through the three and a half years before the ultimate God's ultimate wrath comes upon the world. So if they're a mid-tribulation, that's why you would re read that. So like Tuesday, I'm feeling really good about this. Wednesday, I'm reading some more and I'm more confused. And so I call a couple of my pastor friends and I'm like, you gotta help me. Uh, and I'm in this. And they just laughed at me. They said, Brian, this is why we don't preach revelations. Uh, I got one of my brothers, he, he texted me this morning. He's teaching on sex this morning and felt better about his teaching than what I'm gonna have to do for you. So just to give you context uh, as we go, uh, what we're kind of rolling through. But I'm excited about uh, our, our time together. So here's what I wanna remind you. I, I'm gonna teach this section today with the same premise that I've taught this whole series. And just put it up this way, right? The best way to interpret all scripture is literal and natural except in places where the text is obviously allegorical, poetic, or figurative. 
So we're going to read the text for how the text says and how we naturally interpret it is how we're going to interpret it through the process. So in light of that, I'm going to present these to you today as, and next week as three sequential uh, judgments that God has placed upon the, the earth, three distinctly different ones. And I would place those, uh, we're going to see the seven, bowl, or seven seals this morning, the first six um, trumpets, and the first three and a half years based on Revelations 11, we'll see next week the uh, the two witnesses that come and their involvement with the temple makes me think the temple is still engaged in the process and in the last part. That may mean nothing to you. Here's all I'm telling you this morning. I'm gonna give you an educated guess and we're gonna go with this thing together uh, and we're gonna let scripture speak for itself as we jump in. So if you've got your Bibles, go to Revelations chapter six. If you got your phones, go to lexcity.info. I've got all the sermon notes, got a couple charts there uh, that'll help you out this morning. It just leaves some reference so you can do some study even on your own. And as you're turning there, on lexcity.info, if you scroll down the bottom, there's a little place for questions. And if you get questions about Revelation, and uh, I'd like to address some of those, so feel free to enter those. Some of you gave me some good questions last week. Some of those I'm going to answer today, and some of the others, hopefully, as we do throughout the series. So let's go with this morning. Seven seals as we go. Seal number one starts in Revelations chapter six. We looked a little bit at this last week. Now, I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, being John, right? And behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. And if you remember last week, it's where we spent a little bit of our time in our study. This is a reference again. The white horse represents a false peace that's going to come, and it's represented through the Antichrist. And if you missed last week, a chance to go back and, and see that. So this piece is going to last the first three and a half years, right, if we see that on our timeline. Now, I'm remind you now, three and a half years peace, that doesn't mean there is no peace and no conflict and no world catastrophes uh, on this earth. Somewhere there has to be conflict in order for this Antichrist to rise up and create peace. So it, it's not like there's all tranquility because we'll see some of the judgments that come impact those first three and a half years. But there is a false sense of peace. So let's move on. We spent time there last week. So seal number two, verse three. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. And out came another horse, bright red. And its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that the people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. We're gonna see here in Revelations chapter six, these first four seals, right? They all are represented by four horses. And if you're familiar with the four horses of the apocalypse, this is the, the, the reference for that. Four horses, four distinct colors. Four distinct colors represent four conditions that affect the world. So number two, the horse was red, right? War, blood, and death. He's permitted to take the peace from the earth that we see. Here's the third horse, third seal. In verse five, and when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and look and behold a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in its hands. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a Daenerys and three quarts of barley for a Daenerys and do not harm the oil and wine. Third horse, black horse that enters represents famine that's there. Now, it shouldn't surprise us, right? All throughout human history, you can look back, you've seen this. Anytime there is great war, what follows great war? Great famine. Crops are destroyed. Infrastructures are decimated. But it also gives us some real specific things that hyperinflation <laughs> takes place and our purchase power is now reduced by one-eighth. Here's the point of what the third seal is saying. What you would make, it's reduced by one. You cannot make enough money in one day to feed your family. This is how inflated it has come because of that. Think about the, the pressure and the horror of that. 
creates the fourth seal, verse seven. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come and looked and behold a pale horse and its rider's name was death and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword with famine and with pestilence and by wild beast of the earth. Fourth horse, pale horse, light green color, Mountain Dew as he goes, it's the horse of death, right? And over a fourth, listen about this, over a fourth of the world is killed. Think about this. I mean, we're 7.9 billion people on our earth today, right? So that's about 2 million people. China's 1.33 uh, uh, billion that are there. I mean, that's more people will die than are in China today. America, we're only 333 million that, that are in our country here today. So you begin to uh, calculate that out, the impact on the world. This is the death that comes. Fifth seal. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer while the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Whew, aren't you glad you came this morning? Light morning, right? Here's the fifth seal. It's, it's martyrdom. Those that were killed for the sake of Christ. And it's this amazing picture. They're crying out to God to say, God, where's our judgment? When will you avenge wrath on those who have taken our lives for your sake? You know, I love what the Lord, the picture is simply here. Jesus says, look, just breathe. Just breathe. Put on your white robe, you know. Enjoy heaven for a while. My vengeance will come, but not now. And then he gives a, a sad but a profound premonition that's coming because there are more that will join you. The reality is that those who will give their life for the sake of Christ will increase through this tribulation and there are more to come. So sober thought. Sixth seal, right? He opened the sixth seal and I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and the full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like the scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. I have no idea what all of that means other than this. I know it'll be the greatest catastrophic event in human history since the flood. And the sea and the sky will give up. And how do you think mankind's response is going to be at this point, right? We're on six seals. We've lost a, a fourth of the of population. Catastrophic things coming down on earth. Will man repent or will he rebel? See, whatever your answer is to how you think man will respond gives evidence to how you think about the human condition. I'm reminded of this. The Bible tells us that the heart is <clears throat> desperately wicked. I'm reminded that we're sinful fallen people, that the pride of our souls dwells our heart in such a passionate way. And so I think we'll respond, verse 15, Here's how they respond. The kings of the earth, great, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, in other words, everybody, hid themselves in the caves among the rocks and the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Get the idea at this moment, they understand where the wrath and the judgment come that is coming from God, so they try to hide and they flee, right? Does this sound familiar like Adam and Eve in the garden? 
when their sin is exposed, you either repent or you rebel. They ran to hide, and so is the same that's there. And we're gonna see this, this theme over and over again in the, during the tribulation. That God is gonna reveal himself and his power and his might in undeniable ways. And yet over and over, we're gonna see people harden their hearts. Like Pharaoh, right, who saw the, the miracles and the signs that, that Moses did, what did Pharaoh do? He hardened his heart towards the, thing of God, the things of God. And we're gonna see in this moment throughout the tribulation that millions, they're gonna double down on their pride. They're gonna double down on their arrogance and their desire for sinfulness and turn their heart on God. It's, it's a sad thing. Now, the great news in this, this has all been kind of harsh and kind of difficult this morning, but here's the great news. Not, not, not everybody will reject God during the tribulation. And so before the seventh seal in the book of Revelations, here's the great part. Chapter seven gives us a picture, again, of God's promise and God's purpose for the tribulation. And we're gonna see again, as we talked about way back on week one, God's special relationship with the nation of Israel and the importance of that. And we're gonna see again where mercy meets justice. Chapter seven, I love chapter seven. It kind of gives us an emotional break. We've gone through these six brutal things that are happening. And here's what Revelation seven says, starting in verse one. And after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth and holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind might blow on earth or sea against any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with a seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, do not harm the earth and the sea or the trees until you have sealed the servants of your God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And we know this in God's divine plan that 144,000 Jews will be saved at this moment in the context of the end times. And the powerful thing is not only are they saved, but it makes special thing that they are divinely sealed and divinely protected, that no harm will come to them on any things that are about to happen. So they've been protected for a divine purpose. It's really, these are untouchable evangelists is really what we've got happening. 144,000 and God turns them loose. Look at the results. And after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages standing before the throne and for the lamb clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their face before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. Blessings and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might will be to God forever and ever, amen. And one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And I said to him, sir, you know, he said to them, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have been washed their robes and have made them white with the blood of the lamb. The greatest evangelistic movement in human history will happen in the midst of some of the greatest judgment. And more people from every nation and tongue and tribe, both Jew and Gentile, will come to a saving knowledge of Christ in the midst of these things. And I love that as I go. In the midst of God's wrath, we see God's grace and his desire for all to be saved. Listen, don't miss that part of the story in the midst of all the rest of it. This is a gracious God. 
who loves you. Like a, char- like a parent disciplines their child, not out of anger and wrath, but as desire to see change. That, that's the beauty of what we're seeing. After this incredible moment, we continue on with the seventh seal and go over to chapter eight, and just moving through. And then the lamb opened the seventh seal and there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now think about this. If there's silence in heaven, what has been happening up to this point? Right, it's been worship. Speculating. Seventh seal is opened. And when that seventh seal, if you remember the picture of that from weeks past and that scroll lays open, for the very first time the angels in all of heaven have seen God's master plan. And I think when they saw it, there was a gasp. I think when they saw what was about to happen, there was a solemnness that's there in silence. Was in heaven for 30 minutes. Because what we're going to hit from this point on is, is significant. And it should cause us to pause and cause us to ponder, right? And in the midst of that silence, seven angels pick up seven trumpets and they place them to their lips and the wrath of God to a stiff-necked world begins to escalate as the next judgment comes of the seven trumpets. First trumpet, chapter eight, verse seven. Then the first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood and these were thrown down upon the earth and a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all green grass was burned up. Then the second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. Then the third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs and the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood means bitter and actually poisonous. And many people died from the water because they had been made bitter. Get a picture of, of what's happening here at this moment, right? First, a third of all the salt water is destroyed. <laughs> then a third of all the fresh water is destroyed or poisoned. And can you imagine the impact if a third of the drinking water on this globe has now become bitter and poisonous? No sea, no food in the sea to eat, no irrigation on your crops as you have. The third of the earth has already been burned because of the things that come. So we have a food shortage. We, we have a, a water shortage. Catastrophic things. Fourth trumpet. The angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that the third of their light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. As you think about the darkness that now falls, and I can't even begin to imagine what that would be like, but these judgments, now think about this, they could have been over the entire earth. I mean, there are times when we see the, wrath, the judgment and wrath of God where he destroys all things or a higher percentage, but he only chooses a third. He could have done a half of the earth or any more, but it was only a third. And again, I think it's the graciousness of God that we have. And then we move into the next part uh, of God's judgment. Now, here's the part. Remember, we have these things happening on a physical plane. And I think the book of Revelations reminds us that there is also a spiritual plane that we're interacting. 
There's a spirit world and a heavenly world and the power of revelations that these two interact in ways that we have never seen and are hard for us to comprehend. But it is the reality of, of what we see. And so these first part of the, the trumpets that have been come, they have been a judgment on the physical world. But now we're going to see where a spiritual world interacts and it comes down. Fifth trumpet. And at the fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit. And from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke of the shaft. And then from the smoke came locusts on the earth. And they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. And they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Remember that? 144,000 were sealed. Opinion. I believe also everybody who had placed their faith in Christ post that point, the sealing was there. I believe once you have the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit within your life in that way, there's a sealing that comes. I think that also applies to them. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but the death will flee from them. So something is brought up from the pit, right? That creates this kind of fear and despair and pain that people wish they would die. And in the midst of this, aren't even able to find death. Now, we know whatever it is in the seal has some sense of a demonic element to it since it comes from the bottomless pit, right? If you were to take what, what John says and give it a little literal description, let me read his description. I'll just throw on the screen. This would be a literal interpretation of what that was. In appearance, the locust was like a horse prepared for battle, and on their heads what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, and their hair was like women's hair. And their teeth like lion's teeth, and they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the nose of the rings was like the nose of many, the noise was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing in the battle. They have tails that sting like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. And they have a king over them, the angel from the bottomless pit. I, I, I don't know about you, that's a terrifying. It's a terrifying thought. That's a humbling thought because sometimes in our own arrogance we begin to exalt self and think we're, can I remind you, in the feet of a, of a sovereign God, even in the things of evilness, boy, there should be a humility with us that just puts the song we sang earlier, you know, the battle belongs to you, Lord. I mean, these are things that are beyond where I, I have, I, I trust you in that. It's a terrifying thought, but for five months they torment and in that five months of torment, people will seek death and not be able to find it. Sixth trumpet, it continues. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet. And I heard a voice from the four horsemen of the golden altar before the Lord saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who have bound at the great river of Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year, right? These are four were released to kill a third of mankind. And the number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000, and I heard their number. So somehow we know this, that these four angels were prepared from the, from the very beginning of time for this moment, 
We know they are not angelic angels, but demonic angels because they were bound, right? Angelic angels aren't bound in the context of that. They were never bound. So these are demons. These demons and fallen angels lead two million, think about this, two million demons into this world. And the demons kill another third of mankind. No idea. And at this point, we pick up in the, in the book of Revelations through the tribulation, here's a little checkpoint where we are. Nearly half of the world's population has been killed in just a few years' time span. Can you imagine this? Half the world's population has been killed through supernatural divine elements and judgment that even if you didn't believe in God, that you would know something divinely was happening, and yet people still don't repent and acknowledge God. Half the population is gone, and yet they're still stubborn in their own sin. In fact, they double down on their anger and their pride and their rejection of God, even after all they've experienced just in the years. Revelations chapter 9. And the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the work of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or of their sexual immorality or of their thefts. And think about this. Again, I'm just, it, it's shocking to me. After all that has happened in all of these things that they have seen and experienced, and yet how does mankind respond? I find in chapter 9, they're returning to their sin. They're, they're worshiping idols that, that don't even move, the Bible says. They're worshiping demonic powers, this false sense of power that's there. They, sexual immorality is running rampant on the earth. There's murders. It says there are thefts. And the depravity of man is on full display. And at this context of the story, they are unapologetically choosing their sin over a savior. And that's where we find the depravity of man in, in our human heart. There's no confusion at this point on their decision, right? I am actively choosing my sin over who I see in God. And what's so heartbreaking and what is so shouldn't so shock us at all to find this part halfway through the tribulation where we're at is this is simply a result of the condition of the human heart, right? It, it's a reminder for us uh, of where our natural heart always falls. See, sometimes we say this, oh man, if I could just see, man, if I could just see more signs and more wonders, if I could get, see God do something miraculous, then I would believe in God. See, my fear is for some of you that are here. Again, we have about 2,000 folks that watch every week. If you're watching online through different things, listen. My fear for you is this, is that you sit, keep saying, God, if you would just do this, then I would believe. Can I just remind you in this moment, you have enough Jesus to make a decision about Jesus. More signs and more wonders isn't going to change the condition of your heart. If you don't believe me, you ask Pharaoh, who saw all of these and his heart hardened. (laughs) Ask the nation of Israel who God divinely cared for, miraculous 
fire by night and a cloud by day and met all their things and saw all the signs and wonders and yet still didn't acknowledge that he was their savior. Ask the Roman guards who guarded a tomb that the next day the stone was rolled away and there was nobody there and yet their hearts still became hardened to the things of God because they didn't need more signs and wonders. They just needed to choose a savior over their sin. And all throughout the tribulations, millions of people will see the divine works of God and the grace of God as people are getting saved like never before and they'll see all these things and decide, I, I want my sorcery and I want my wooden idol and I want my sexual promiscuity and I want the things that are true in my heart and I'm gonna choose that over a savior. So my question really for us today as we think about even where we are in, in this narrative is I say to you today again, friends, you have all the Jesus you need to make a decision about Jesus. If you're waiting for greater things, and look, you can have all those and I'm gonna tell you, it doesn't change the condition of your heart. So we're left with a simple and profound question. Are you gonna choose your sin? Or are you gonna choose a savior? Would you do me a favor just this morning as we kind of close out with that thought, just bow your heads with me this morning. And just in these moments, I just wanted, I wanted to leave you with that profound thought. And you might have come to church for weeks and months and years and you keep hearing about God but you never made a decision for God. And if you're honest, the thing that's keeping you is you love what you do on Friday night more than you love Jesus. And I just wanna invite you today in these moments to choose Jesus, to choose a savior over your sin. If that's you today, I just invite you, just say this prayer to the Lord in your own words and your own attitude of your heart. Heavenly Father, I acknowledge God that I've been choosing the things of this world. I've been choosing the things that feed my flesh and the desires and my selfishness. And God, I've placed those over you. Lord, today, I want to repent of that. I want to ask for your forgiveness. Lord, I want to make you Lord of my life. So, Father, today, I'm placing my faith and my trust in you alone for the forgiveness of my sins and for the free gift of eternal life. Lord, today I choose to make you my Savior. In Jesus' name, and just in this moment as you're here, whether you're here or you're watching online, listen, if you made that choice, I'd love you just to take a step of 
courage and obedience with that. If you're online, just in the chat thing, say, I prayed that today, or go to lexcity.info. There's a place that simply say, I prayed. Or if you're here this person this morning, if you prayed that for the very first time, would you be willing just to raise your hand and just put it down that I could just see and be reminded even pray for that this morning? Anybody here? God, we thank you for the truth of that. We thank you that in the midst of the greatest catastrophic events in human history, we still see the, the loving hand of our Father who desires men and women and boys and girls to come to a saving knowledge of Him. And God, we rejoice with, we know the millions that will place their faith in you in the midst of these things, the 144,000 who will just boldly proclaim the gospel in ways that we've never seen before, and we celebrate that. But Lord, today, it's just my heart is heavy for that. For those who are just waiting to see something more spectacular or have more evidence, I'm reminded that there are those moments of faith and those moments of decision, and we have enough in us of who you are to make that decision. So I celebrate grateful for those today in person or online who have made that decision to make you their Lord and Savior. And we celebrate with that today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now listen. I love the truth of that in the midst of a really sometimes difficult and depressing book about what's going to come. But the wonderful thing of God. Now listen, next week, this week was rough, right? We got scorpion things coming and earthquakes and it's, it's brutal. You know, half the earth is gone. You're like, can it get worse? I'm telling you, here's the challenge. If you're a parent, when the rebellion of your child increases, your love escalates and the consequences of those choices escalate. And next week, we're gonna see the final judgment and wrath of God poured out. We're going to meet two witnesses that start and set the tone and then the seven bowls that are going to come and then the end is here and the time of decision is over and at the end of that tribulation you will have decided once and for all will I choose a savior or will I choose my sin and we'll see the end of that so how do I leave you today with some encouragement on a rainy, dark day? I want you to be happy as we go. Let me just remind you that today is still the day of salvation. And the beauty is God's placed you on this earth and in your workplace and in your neighborhood to share the good news. I'm so grateful and so comfortable with all the things that we share from this point on. I'm glad I won't be here because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'll be able to spend eternity with him in a glorious place. So be encouraged today as we go. Tyrone, why don't you come up, give us some next steps, and uh, bring some hope to these folks as I broke them down with seven seals today. <laughs>